All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And this is uh, Jamal Dajani. Jamal, we have a great show, and uh, I think we're just going to dive right into it. We're standing at the precipice of the largest diplomatic failure in modern recent, I would say, you know, U.S. history when it comes to diplomatic failures. And in a short period of time with the Trump administration, there have been many diplomatic catastrophes and failures. Today, we witness at the United Nations, arguably one of the greatest diplomatic failures of the United States, not just under the Trump administration, but under any administration in, you know, in our recent memory. This was really a catastrophic loss and disaster for Donald Trump. Well, to quote from the Donald, he lost bigly, <laughs> right? So bigly. Trump lost bigly. And just to give our listeners an update, I'm sure many of you uh, who have been following what happened at the United Nations, at the General Assembly today. Yeah, this is not the Security and, Council. And er- the General earlier Assembly. at the right. Security Council, so the UN General Assembly, Assembly has overwhelmingly voted in favor of uh, a resolution calling on the U.S. to reverse its decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. 128 countries backed the motion. Nine states, including, when I say nine states, those are the states including the United States and Israel, voted against the UN resolution. So only seven voted against it. Seven. Literally. 35 nations abstained. Uh, the voting took place at a rare UN General Assembly emergency. This was an emergency meeting convened today at the request uh, of uh, some Arab and, and, and Muslim so I th- nations. I think it was Egypt, Jordan, uh, maybe even Turkey were some of the countries that uh, were sponsoring this resolution calling on the United States specifically to withdraw their call to move the U.S. Embassy to, uh, to Jerusalem. That's right. And then so uh, also several of the state's uh, representatives at the United Nations spoke, including Nikki Haley. I who is Nikki Haley? And uh, we'll get to that later on, but she is the United States representative at the United Nations. But earlier she was following in the footsteps of... Donald Trump, who basically threatened. Not basically. He did threaten. He threatened. And Nikki Haley threatened. Countries. They said, we're going to take names. He said, well, I'll I'll quote from the Donald. He said, let them vote against us. We'll save a lot. We don't care. But this isn't like it used to be before they could vote against you and so forth. So basically, he was threatening these countries that the, the United, that the United States will take action, yeah. like uh, but Jamal, reducing their right. financial aid and so forth. But you're 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 really, um, I think, speaking in the best possible light of how to frame this. It, they weren't. Th- they were threatened. They were bullied, and the United States is placing itself and saying, uh, "You are our supplicants. You must." 
you know, because we give you this money, you must not act independently. You must vote with us, even if it goes against international law. It's basically treating sovereign countries as slave states to the political interests. And it's not the political interests of the United States. It's the political interests of a particular clique Uh, in the White House. But, here, truly but, but, dis- but dis- here is the big news. What's the big so, news? Some of the United States' staunchest allies yeah. in Europe, Britain, France, Germany, Italy, mm. and many other, Greece, and so forth, wow. they voted for the resolution. So what is the Donald going to do? How is he going, how yeah. is he going to punish the Brits, for example? He's going to... you know, sell his uh, golf course uh, in Scotland, <laughs> where he's, by the way, they don't like him to have one there. How is he going to, rea- to react towards France? How is he going to react towards That's right. Germany? That's right. So the message that he was sending, of course, to, to, you know, the threat, the veiled threat, he was threatening countries like Egypt, which is a recipient, you know, uh, you know, w- w- which is a recipient of uh, big, fi- uh, you know, Big bill. $1.3 billion. Dollars. Yeah, exactly, from the United States. He is uh, even, uh, uh, you know, Afghanistan, by the way, voted right. and for it, the resolution. And Iraq. So all these countries that he was threatening, which is unprecedented, by the way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a mafia tactic. Uh, well, know, mafia, and, and, and thug, dictator, despot. I mean, whatever words you want to use, Jamal, but... Can think of the United States as kind of the way they would like to be portrayed as kind of a, a country that is kind of leading the way in terms of diplomatic solutions to uh, many of the world's problems. And diplomacy, if you will, involves being able to speak and engage with people and, and work uh, collectively on solving problems. That's not what this president is about. That's not what this administration is about. This administration is about bullying, threatening, and wanting people to kiss the ring, if you will, of Donald Trump, because that's what his, that's what his uh, cabinet does. That's what the Congress did with the tax bill, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Donald Trump wants you as an individual and wants countries to be supplicants, slaves, uh, subjects to his imperial rule. And this United Nations vote was such a grotesque example of like an imperial approach to disrespecting not only our biggest allies, but disrespecting the world order of how we as a humanity, as a people, should be able to come together to solve problems. He, he is deliberately taking steps to disrespect and disregard large numbers of communities and people and countries in the world. And frankly, this, this approach, Jamal, especially when it comes to the question of Palestine, It's, it's, you know, uh, you and I have said this many times. I mean, the Israelis should be very careful about what they wish for because this is going to turn out, and, and everybody agrees on this, this is going to turn out in a very bad way, not just for the Israelis, but for the United States in terms of pushing this, this kind of bullying and imperial agenda. So the seven countries that yeah, voted who are, who are in the support, because some of you might not know, I... I mean, I've been getting uh, these tweets because when I put the names of the seven countries, people say, oh, I didn't know 
uh, where this uh, island nation was. Uh, so you're saying it's, you know. it's big countries? Well, like? well, the biggest, I would say, Guatemala, Honduras. Wait, and we'll, wait a minute. Those are the biggest countries yeah, that voted? Then the Marshall Islands, Nauru, yeah. Palo, and Togo. So, guys, check check your maps <laughs> and geography to locate Togo, Palo, Noro, the Marshall Islands, and well, whatever. Well, the Marshall Islands always votes in favor of whatever the Israelis are, are doing. They always vote like 100% with the United States and the Israelis. They, they have always done that. But I, I'm kind of surprised with Guatemala and Honduras. Now, Honduras is interesting because they just had a presidential election in which the presidential candidate that won was happened to be Palestinian. And the United States is backing the coup, by, is, the, it, by it, the way. Is backing the coup. And it, doesn't, it wouldn't surprise us if the Israelis were also backing the coup. So I guess I kind of understand Honduras. But Guatemala, I, I, I don't get it. Palu... Uh, Nauru, uh, Marshall Islands, as I say, I get it. It just seems like, put it this way, Jamal, the, the countries that voted for this, voted against it, voted with the United States and Israel, are not considered the powerhouse leaders of democracy in the world right now. No, no, and that's why it's very important to remember, you know, you have France, you have Britain, you have Germany, you have Japan, China. You know, you have, well, I'm talking about the historically allies of the United right. States. They all said goodbye to, to Donald Trump. Canada, which historically and traditionally votes in line with the United States, always abstained. Hmm. And supposedly, from what I read and you read this, the Canadians were going to vote. With, the United, with the United States and Israel. And, but then when they heard Nikki Haley making her threats and heard Donald Trump making his threats, they wanted to show some sovereignty for a change, sovereignty from the United States. They decided to abstain. Australia is the other big country that decided to, to abstain. But, you know, all these other countries, the big countries, China and Russia, they voted for that. Uh, countries that he was counting on. In in fact, this year, if you go to in, in Israel, is of course the largest recipient. But who's the other large recipient? Uh, well, Egypt. It's not Egypt. No, it's Afghanistan. Well, Afghanistan you know, because Af of the war. Uh, because of the war, also voted uh, for again, the for, for the, the for, for the resolution. Right. So it was a big slap in the face. A bigly slap in the face. A bigly slap in the face. <laughs> now. You know, most of you, this is uh, something, you know, which is uh, uh, something that I've actually been writing about because most people don't know. This hostilities, okay, we, we understand the game Donald Trump is playing. We understand the, um, you know, the audience is, uh, is basically uh, performing or uh, to the, uh, you know, those who voted for him. Uh, those who want to see, the, they want to hasten the return of the Messiah, uh, you know, the evangelical, evangelical Christians. And, of course, we know the influence of the Kushners and on his decision-making when it comes to the, to the Middle East. But then people, many people were surprised. They said, why is this uh, Nikki Haley so hostile to Palestinians? 
you know, and people don't understand the history of Nikki Haley. So I just want to talk a little bit yeah, about it's, that. It's a, it's an important history, Jamal. You people know, understood. Uh, of course, her Nikki her Haley. her real name is Nimrata Randawa. Say he, that again. Her Nimrata Nikki, Randawa. How do you get from that to Nikki Haley? Well, her family came from Punjab. She's basically Indian American. Changed her first name from Nimrata to Nikki. Haley is the name of her husband. But this is not important. Many people come to the United States. We are a, we're a country of immigrants, but that's what not Donald Trump wants to, to be, to believe, right? right? To believe. But she's an immigrant. She's, she, she was born in this country. She's first generation uh, <clears throat> immigrant in this country. Nikki Haley, Apex darling, this is what they call her. She went to the last Apex conference in Washington, D.C. She received many rising ovations, by the way. Oh, no. You know, I just want to say a few things because we can go through her whole history. But I can tell you for sure, and I did my homework, between May and June of 2016. So that's recent. Recent. Sheldon Adelson, your favorite person in the United States. My favorite settler colonialist who likes He to donated 200 he contributed $250,000 to her 527 political organization. Really? Quarter of a million dollars. Quarter of a million dollars. She also received from the Koch or Coke uh, Brothers. Koch Brothers. Well, it's it's Koch Industries. That's the the corporation they have. She received $50,000. So he got $300,000 from two sources that are very, very pro-colonial, the very pro-colonial settler movement in Palestine. Absolutely. She raised, during that period, about 900 plus change, close to a million dollars. And most of the money came from pro-Israel groups. This is how she, by the way, this is how she has been oiling her machine when she became governor right. in South Carolina. So am I surprised by her hostility towards Palestinians? Are you, Not Jess? At Not at all. What, what I am surprised about um, is just the profound nature of her ignorance. And I would say to Ambassador Haley, because she, she said a couple of things which we need to challenge her on. Number one, she said, the United States moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem is the will of the American people. Let, let's break that down, Jamal, because— It's the ep- will of APAC. It's the will of APAC. It's the will of Sheldon Edelson. It's—when you look at the polling, we, we can look at polling. The overwhelming majority of Americans disagree with moving the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to uh, from from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So for her to have the audacity to say, this is the will of the people, it's a flat out lie. This is the will of APAC, it's the will of the Edelsons, it's the will of the Koch brothers, it's the will perhaps of Donald Trump and some evangelical movements, but the will of the people of the United States has not indicated that they support that move. The, the other thing that uh, Nikki Haley is very fond of saying about this move, she said, this is the only thing that will help bring peace to Palestine. <laughs> and I, I, I want Nikki Haley to go to Bethlehem. I want her to go to the camps in, in the West Bank or in Gaza. And I want her to say with a straight face that moving this embassy 
with all of its implications from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and looking at what's happening in the world, how almost every single one of our allies in the world is actually facilitating peace in Palestine. So she is in the Trump tradition telling flat out lies, making up stories and making up facts. Well, the biggest lie also there was, uh, uh, we were talking about this earlier, a, uh, a survey or a poll uh, uh, that uh, about moving the embassy. Right. You know, this is a poll from the American public. I don't know who who conducted this poll. I think it was the Pew Institute, maybe. Okay. So, so the numbers don't show don't show what she's talking about. The will of the people. No, the will of the people it's don't the, say that. It's her will. It's Donald Trump's will. It's AIPAC's will. But don't go on TV and say that this is. Uh, the, uh, will of the, the will of the people. We have to talk about another secret force in the White House and the Trump administration that is desperate in terms of moving the U.S. embassy from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and that's the Vice President Mike Pence, who is a out there evangelical uh, extremist. I, we would call him a religious extremist. I mean, this this individual is so categorically extreme uh, against so many uh, issues having to do with human rights and equality and equity, whether it's the LGBTQ community, whether it's for you know women's rights, whatever, he's against it. His evangelical extremist beliefs tell him that anything that will hasten the 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 uh, second coming of Jesus Christ should be done. Part of this move, Jamal, is done in the interest of a crazy ideological evangelical notion of putting gasoline on the fire in that region to hasten the second coming. And Mike Pence, our vice president, is right there pushing this along. By the way, we know that Mike Pence was supposed to be in Palestine today. He was supposed he canceled his trip because the Palestinians said we're not going to meet with you. You you can come to Bethlehem. We're we're not. They they basically you know rejected him. And even in forty eight Jamal, the Palestinian community in Nazareth said, uh, I mean that that they would find his visit to Palestine an affront, and have uh, I, I think they were even uh, burning uh, posters of 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 Mike Pence in in Nazareth. So. Um, back to Nikki Haley's comment, Jamal, that this this move of the embassy is done to bring peace uh, to Palestine. I I don't see it. Well, also worse uh, uh, than this, uh, Jess, she went on the podium uh, at the United Nations, speaking to all the members in at- attendance, uh, basically. Threatening, she threatened to pull U.S. funding. She did to the United Nations. So we have this always this this uh, issue, kind of uh, with the United Nations first. You know, of course, the United States uh, hosts the UN in New York, and whenever things don't go its way, we threaten right not to fund the United uh, Nations. Let me see if I have. Yeah, that sound. I think I might have the sound bite. And this is Nikki Haley uh, threatening. Uh, th- this is Nikki Haley doing her. And by the way, Jamal, you, about Nikki Haley. Well, hold on. The the thing with Nikki Haley when Rex Tillerson, 
who looks like he's going to leave, you know, next year. They're talking about Nikki Haley being the Secretary of State. Okay, we have a sign for about Nikki Haley? Yeah, we're pulling that. Uh, Rather, the president's decision reflects the will of the American people. So this is and Nikki our Haley. right as a nation to choose the location of our embassy. There is no need to describe it further. Instead, there is a larger point to make. The United States will remember this day in which it was singled out for attack in the General Assembly for the very act of exercising our right as a sovereign nation. We will remember it when we are called upon to once again make the world's largest contribution to the United Nations. And we will remember it when so many countries come calling on us, as they so often do, to pay even more and to use our influence for their benefit. So the will of the people, more, more fake news, more fake facts. The will of the American people is not to move the embassy to Jerusalem. The will of the American people is that the United States actually be a, an honest broker, which you and I have never believed uh, ever in the history of any kind of brokering uh, of, a, of, of a kind of solution to the question of Palestine. But what this does, Jamal, is lay bare not just the hypocrisy of the United States as a, you know, as a diplomatic arbiter in terms of uh, Palestine. It, it lays bare the hypocrisy. But it, it's not that they're not even a fair arbiter. They're basically saying our, our, our America first interest is to support the Israelis at all costs, no matter if it— because you and I have been arguing this for years, and I've said this so many times. It is not in the U.S. interest as a country to, to continue to uh, deny Palestinian rights towards dignity uh, and self-determination. It has caused more irreparable problems for the United States than anything else. And yet they continue to offer this plan, which is against the strategic interests of the United States. And Nikki Haley and AIPAC and Donald Trump are taking the United States down this very, very uh, problematic path. Well, I mean, the other thing, and I want to go back to the United Nations and, yeah. and her statement, Oh yeah, which basically she was threatening the UN with defunding it. Okay. Over the resolution. That's fine. You know, this is before, I mean, threatening, because this keeps coming, and I uh, we listened to the soundbite, but we uh, there were some missing uh, segments from it, uh, uh, I'll, and I'll read because I have, I have her transcript, and she says, uh, in the case of the United States, we are asked to pay more than any more, uh, anyone else for that dubious privilege. She calls it dubious privilege. But she doesn't mention that the United States has a veto power, and at the UNC, uh, United Nations—I uh, mean UNSC, the the United Security Nations Security Council—the United States used that veto power. It was 14 to one. Uh, you know, the same, the same, the same resolution was in front of them, and the they vetoed it. So that. You know, privilege gives you a lot of privilege because you get you're one of the very few countries that gets to veto uh, resolutions. And most of these resolutions, uh, by the way, uh, or most of these vetoes were used uh, on behalf of um, Israel. And then the other thing right. she forgot to mention, and this is kind of like, you know, when the United Nations doesn't go your way, 
then we take you, our you know, ball and go home. We'll take our ball and go home. But if we go back to 1947, the state of Israel was created because of a United Nations vote. This is the division of Palestine in 1947 came through a United Nations vote during President Truman, who at the time postponed that vote over the weekend. If you want to read, this is all archived in, in, in the right. history books. That's right. Because when he felt that uh, he wasn't going to get that vote. They weren't. They went back again to the uh, to to twisting arms and, and threatening countries like the Marshall Islands. Well, actually, and, do you know who they threatened at the last minute? They threatened the Philippines. The Philippines. And it's the Philippine vote. And I hate to say this to our Philippine uh, brothers and sisters who, by and large, are extremely pro-Palestine and pro-Palestinian. But it was really the singular vote by the representative of the Philippines that threw the vote to partition Palestine illegally uh, from its historic indigenous roots. Right. So, so when, when it goes that way, the United Nations is fantastic. It created the state of Israel. When they wanted to put the sanctions on Iraq and come up with this concocted story. See, people have short memory. I'll take her back to Colin Powell. Remember Colin Powell going in front of the United Nations and lying. Security Council and, and saying lying. that he lied. Uh, talked about exactly lied about Iraq's nuclear weapons and the yellow cake and all these showing all these uh, uh, videos about uh, 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 you know trains. Uh, Iraq is using trains to develop nuclear weapons and centrifuges, which turned up to be all a lie. It cost the Iraqi people a million lives. This is more than one million Iraqis have died since the invasion of Iraq. They used the United uh, Nations to sanction to sanction the invasion of Iraq. So that the, then, then the United Nations was fantastic. So anyway, I'm quoting again from her, her speech. She says, we have an obligation to demand more for our investment. So the United States looks at the United Nations as an investment, right? And if our investment fails, she calls it an investment, same mentality of Donald Trump. You can buy people, you know, this is- And buy countries. You know, buy, buy countries, buy people. We have an obligation, she, she continues to say, to spend our resources in more productive ways. Those are the thoughts that come to mind when we consider the resolution before us today. So, th so that's the way you know uh, despots think, Jamal. It's that's the not way just despots. Imperial. It's the, that's the way imperialists think. That's it's, the it's, way. It's the arrogance. No, it's and the that, arrogance. But let me just say it more bluntly. That's the way thugs think, Jamal. A thug will come and tell you. If you don't do what I, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, even if it's beneath you, even though it disrespects you, if you don't do what I'm going to tell you to do, we're going to bludgeon you. We're going to take away funds. We're going to do all these things to isolate you. The the diplomatic uh, approach that uh, Nikki Haley is taking, I just call it thuggery. It's couched in not so nice language, but it is thuggery. Um, hey, we're at KPOO, we're in San Francisco, we're at 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk. We're going to take a short musical break. We're broadcasting live on Facebook Live. Go to Facebook slash Jamal Dajani 2, J-A-M-A-L-D-A-J-A-N-I 2. You can watch us live. We'll take a short musical break. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. It's Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. We stopped our Facebook Live <laughs> because of some technical challenges here, Jamal. But, uh, you know, you can always catch a large segment of the show on Facebook Live. You can also obviously listen to us on uh, streaming on kpo.com. And you can always hear archives of the show on Sound cloud. So, diplomatic thuggery. This is going to backfire in some significant ways. We, we already know that, for example, Turkey has just announced that they want to establish their embassy in Palestine and Jerusalem. Now, I have a problem with the Turkish statement, Jamal, because it says they are going to establish their embassy for Palestine in East Jerusalem. Now, while I understand and can appreciate the Turkish effort there, we have to keep in mind that, you know, that already is kind of suggesting, if you will, a solution to the problem that, you know, you know, it's not it it's, may not necessarily be what what outcome people are looking for. But the international community has come out unequivocally, Jamal. And I would say also the, the plurality of people in the United States has come out on this very unequivocally. They do not want the U.S. Embassy moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. This is going to send shockwaves and difficulties for diplomatic efforts throughout the region. You know what's kind of ironic in all of this, Jamal, is the idea that our so-called Arab allies of the United States, we're talking about Iraq, we're talking about Jordan, we're talking about Egypt, we're talking about Saudi Arabia, who are all involved in extremely sensitive uh, security arrangements with the United States. All of these allies voted, you know, uh, for this resolution condemning the United States and Donald Trump. And I don't know what you think about that, but that's what's going on on the on the you know, for lack of a better word, Arab street with this vote? Well, obviously no one supported the vote from the, you know, from the get-go. They, they never supported uh, Donald Trump's statement. Uh, I think, uh, I don't, I don't want to say it was a shock to many of the people because they expected the worst from Donald Trump. And he had been, you know, every single president, by the way, we should uh, mention since uh, Bill Clinton, uh, the uh, Congress vote happened, you know, to move the embassy to Jerusalem happened during uh, Bill Clinton's time. That's right. And then after that, every single president made that promise, but they never acted on it except for Donald Trump. So you can see the writing on the wall and you can see the writing on the walls, uh, you know, from every single statement that Donald Trump made. And I think that because of what's happening on the ground and and since his last visit to Saudi Arabia and all the, you know, shummy approach to the Saudis and other uh, states in the Gulf and his relationship with uh, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi of Egypt, Donald Trump was not counting on this resistance to his crazy idea. Yes. So he was, I think, 
maybe behind closed doors was given the green light, Absolutely. you know, don't worry. But then when these despots and dictators realized that they're going to have massive unrests in their countries, they couldn't go, they couldn't play well, along with him. No, I think you're exactly right, Jamal. Here's, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, remember, took the visit with Jared Kushner two weeks before he put, you know, half of the royal family in, in jail at the Ritz. You know that this was a topic of discussion between Jared Kushner and uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. So I think you're exactly right. I think uh, these, these despots, uh, leading countries in the Arab world, especially Sisi and the crown prince, these are individuals who knew that the United States was planning on moving the, the embassy from... Um, from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and I think they green lighted. I think they green lighted it. Absolutely, I think, I think they green lighted it indirectly, and they weren't pla- they weren't expecting the demonstrations, they weren't expecting the condemnations, they weren't expecting their people to to go out on the streets and the repercussions from this. So that's the sad news about the Arab world, where. They do. They they say something and they do something else, and you know, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that this was the case. All right. So uh, on this topic, Jamal, in terms of thinking about the future, what's happening in Palestine right now? You know, on the ground in Palestine right now, there has been significant protests and unrest throughout. Uh, throughout 1948 through Gaza and the West Bank. And rather tragically, I think you know, we should also talk about this, the Israelis, uh, an Israeli sniper killed a quadriplegic uh, protester. This is a very, was a very famous uh, protester in Gaza who was a quadriplegic, had his legs basically uh, blown off and was injured. Um, and he was protesting in his wheelchair so let me ask you a question. Is a quadriplegic gentleman with no legs able to be a security threat to the Israelis? Apparently so, because a sniper took out this individual, killed him, and the Israelis have already completed their investigation in record time, less than a few days, and have concluded that they acted accordance with their standard operating principles and nothing unusual happened. So... So, you know, there is a lot, I mean, and, and tomorrow is uh, Friday, so it's a big day uh, in the Arab and Muslim world. It's a big day in Palestine. There will be big protests going on in Jerusalem. And um, I, I think that we need to call out, continue to call out this idea that somehow, and this is the Nikki Haley theory, that, that this is shaking things up and will actually promote peace in Palestine. Well, uh, I think it's very important, you know, to to look at what happened since that statement in Palestine. How many Palestinians have been killed? How many Palestinians have been injured? How many Palestinians have been uh, uh, arrested by Israel? So, uh, so talking about the um, the the uh, killing of someone, basically a Palestinian from the Gaza who had lost both of his legs. And you know how he lost his legs, Jess? Of course I know. So, you know, 
he lost his legs because of an Israeli airstrike. That's right. Uh, on Gaza. And all what he was doing, you know, he was waving the Palestinian flag. That was the security threat, Jamal. A quadriplegic man with no legs is waving the Palestinian flag and killed by this Israeli sniper. He, and I, I guess if you think about it, a Palestinian with dignity, with self-respect, exercising his right to, you know, wave a Palestinian flag, I guess to the Israelis, is considered uh, a security threat to the Israelis. I mean, because he was taken out, and as I said, um, they, are, they have already conducted their investigations and found out that nothing uh, untoward had happened in, in this case. But, you know, there continue to be lots of arrests. There continue to be lots of injuries. I know, for example, in the, uh, in the West Bank, in the, uh, in the refugee camps in the West Bank, Jamal, that there have been daily raids where literally hundreds of tear gas canisters and skunk water and rubber, you know, the rubber-coated bullets have been fired on, uh, you know, people uh, exercising their right to protest. So it's, it's a very... No, no, absolutely. And I want to go back a little bit to this incident because the media would like you to forget about this incident. Yes. Uh, you, I haven't seen anything about it recently Nothing. in the media. Nothing. You know, it is a case where a sharpshooter, we don't know who is that, you know, Israel, in fact... Ha, hasn't conducted a an investigation. No, they said they human did. human rights organizations are uh, conducting an investigation. No, the Israelis conducted their own internal investigation. Internal investigation, which is not so. A, so, so this was last Friday when a sharpshooter shot and killed Ibrahim Abu Thuraya, and he's a double amputee, and they shot him because he protested from his wheelchair near the Gaza-Israel border. Uh, the, you know, the Israeli army sharpshooter couldn't target the lower part of his victim's body. Well, because he doesn't have That's one. his claim. So they shot him in the head. You know, so the poor 29-year-old uh, amputee, double amputee, who actually just worked washing cars and lived in Gaza City's uh, uh, Shati refugee camp. He lost both his legs from the hips down in an Israeli airstrike du during Operation Castled in 2008. And he used a wheelchair to get around. And last Friday, Shot the Israeli occupation army finished the job. And they aimed at his head and shot him dead. So, you know, you don't have an investigation on, on an international level. This is a war crime, not Absolutely. only a war crime. This is a, a killing a handicap, basically. I mean, it, it should have something different. It should, should be, be outraged. It should, people should be outraged over this. So, so you know, uh, it just kind of like goes in passing, no explanation. Uh, how was he a threat who did he threaten? How is that, a th uh, you know, cutting a, a Palestinian and waving a Palestinian well, I, flag I guess it is, is a, threat. a threat. I guess it's a threat. So, so, so things, I mean, these are not, trust me, these are not going to pass by without any accountability. And that's what Israel wants to, this whole distraction, actually, at the United Nations, there should be a hearing 
about him in the criminal court, international criminal court over this. This is an assassination That's right. of a, a handicapped person. Then, you know, because all these things happening, then you have the case of a young Palestinian teenager, 16 years of age. Right. And she got arrested. For Actually, s- for she, sla- she, she, for she, slapping. She did slap- not get arrested. She was kidnapped. She was in, kidnapped because she slapped an Israeli soldier. But no one also talks about why did she slap the Israeli soldier. Well, because they were brutalizing her and her family. I mean, that's basically what was happening. No, uh, she actually, a statement was made by her dad, and the reason she was upset because earlier the Israelis shot a 15-year-old boy, uh. you know, someone who is from her age group. Yeah. They, they killed a 15-year-old boy, again, shot him in the head because he was demonstrating, and they killed him. Yeah. So she, she, I don't know if she... If she was a witness to this or heard about it, but she was very moved. And by the way, this young lady uh, where she lives, she's had many confrontations with the Israelis and, and Israeli settlers and Israeli soldiers raiding her village constantly right. in their faces. That's right. And, and so they arrested her. They arrested now also her cousin, and they arrested, I think, her dad. So they pretty much arrested, or at least, at least, four members of the of the one uh, family, the Tamimi family. Yeah, her name is Ahad Tamimi. Ahad Tamimi. Yeah. she's 16 years of age. That 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 video, by the way, of her slapping the Israeli soldier has gone viral. It's been picked up on social media among, you know, all over the world, and and the. Uh, amazing uh, steadfastness and resistance and courage of this 16-year-old girl to to slap an Israeli soldier who is fully armored up with weapons to kill, maim, and hurt her and her family. It's truly, uh, it's a. It, I mean, I we want our listeners to actually check out that video. It's 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 a very heroic video. Now the Israelis will say we felt threatened. And we have to say, if you're threatened by a 16-year-old Palestinian girl who's slapping an Israeli soldier, then you have sunk to the depths of moral depravity and uh, using it as an excuse to uh, engage in your settler colonial exercise. Because, Jamal, basically what's happening is that the Israelis are using the protests of what's happening in Jerusalem as an excuse to do the night raids, do the targeted killings, do the tear gas exposure, to do the skunk water, to do the rubber-coated bullets, to do the, all the things that set their settler colonial project has, uh, has been doing for years, but to ramp it up significantly so that the communities in the West Bank and Gaza are under siege yet again. That's right. And just an update on her condition on Wednesday, yesterday, the Israeli military court extended her detention. Indefinite detention. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, as we mentioned earlier, she was arrested in an overnight raid uh, of her family's home in the village of Nabi Saleh uh, on Monday. 
and uh, again, uh, uh, Nabi Saleh uh, is constantly raided by the Israeli military, and it's constantly attacked by Israeli settlers. Uh, this is uh, this has been ongoing for many years. Uh, there is another famous, actually, video of her. Uh, I think from two years ago when they came to arrest and she was defending her, they were trying to arrest her younger brother. If you remember That's that right. Israeli soldier grabbing right. and she was like pulling him back, pulling him back and right. her from one side and her, her, her mother from the other side. So, um, quite a you know, co- quite a courageous 16 year old. And you're right. So the, so, so the, so when those, so the, the, those soldiers keep coming back, she goes out with her friends to confront them. So the, video of the incident which had been widely shared over the weekend on social uh, networks by Israelis by the way uh, and and who uh, you know uh, many of the in fact there are uh, pro peace Israelis and human rights Israeli oh, organizations okay. uh, that actually watch the uh, her village uh, like B'nai uh, Bet Salem and right, others and document right. things. So they posted the video and that drove the government berserk, obviously. So, so you know so, what I would so say, they Jamal? Couldn't, they couldn't I, show because basically Israelis, uh, many far-right settlers uh, who usually express pride uh, about the so-called IDF, uh, they expressed outrage, and they were saying because they, what they've seen is uh, an Israeli soldier getting bullied by a young girl, by, <laughs> by a young Palestinian girl. Well, you know, I think we should show that video. Maybe you could send that video to Ambassador Nikki Haley uh, and, and let her see what life for young Palestinian children, uh, young Palestinians is like having to be subjected to uh, a state of uh, daily uh, traumatic exposure, daily occupation, daily assaults, daily attacks with rubber-coated bullets, and uh, arrests, torture. And, you know, we've talked about this before, Jamal, but when you look at the number of Palestinians that have been arrested and detained uh, in Israeli prisons, basically two-thirds of the Palestinian population, uh, male population at one point in their life has been arrested, detained, and subjected to indefinite uh, detention and torture techniques at some point in their life. So uh, the settler colonial project is um, uh, stepping on the gas a little bit right now because of the Jerusalem uh, vote and is using it as an excuse to um, basically brutalize the uh, civilian Palestinian population in the West Bank and Gaza. Yeah, and uh, if you look at some of the comments from the Israeli side, and uh, I've been reading their media, I mean, imagine you're shifting the blame. You're not talking about the occupation. You are not talking about a young young Palestinian girl, 16 uh, 16 years of age, trying to defend her village against soldiers armed to the teeth. Yes. So now, all of a sudden, they portray them at the, as the victims. <laughs> you know, so, so those Israelis who defend the ongoing occupation of the West Bank and the illegal colonial set- settlements there, which, by the way, the soldiers are deployed 
to guard. They settlers tried to, to blame settlers. not only the girl, but also her parents for her arrest right. this we, week by claiming that her distress at living under military rule was somehow an act that she was acting out or whatever, and her parents should have kept her at home, you know. Outrageous. It's called blaming the victim. And, and that's exactly what the Israeli and the Israeli military are expert at, Jamal. They will shoot you. They will arrest you. They will torture you because you exercise your right at dignity and, and, and self-determination. And then after they shoot you, torture you, and harass you, they blame you for forcing them to abuse you. It's the classic blame the victim uh, strategy that the settler colonials have been using for many, many decades. Blaming the oppressed, blaming, blaming the occupied for uh, any attempt at dignity and self-determination. Well, so there is an international campaign yes. calling for her release. Yeah. And so for... Many of our listeners... Where can they go to get that information? Uh, basically, it's a hashtag that now I've seen on Twitter. Uh, people are using free Ahed, and her name is pronounced A-H-E-D. Ahed. Or sometimes they use her full name, which is Ahed Tamimi. So it's uh, either hashtag Ahed Tamimi or free Ahed Tamimi or hashtag free Ahed. Anyway, A-H-E-D. Ed, check it out, and it's uh, you know it, 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 this this thing falls under so many categories, just from child abuse, child endangerment, child, child endangerment. What, what society, Jamal, is afraid of a sixteen-year-old girl defending her family? Okay, a society it, that is not in the right. That's right. We are coming to a close of another Arab talk. Send us your comments to Arab Talk at kpoo.com. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. We'll see you next week.